0: Founderspace, Startup Supercharge. I'm Captain Hawk, CEO of Founderspace, the leading global startup accelerator. I'm also author of the award-winning books, Make Elephants Fly, Surviving a Startup, and The Five Horses. I have entrepreneurial blood. I can't help it. I, like, every time I try to do something normal, I just... I can't stand it, and I have to jump back in and risk it all again on some crazy idea, some of which work out, others which implode. You know, I've been through it all. I've been in the trenches. So, like, when I teach entrepreneurs, I teach them from my own experience, what I actually did, and all those headaches I had. I began, uh, well, actually, I in undergraduate, I went to the University of California, and I studied electrical computer engineering. And as soon as I graduated, I did not go get a job because that just seemed too normal. Instead, I thought, I'll I'll go to film school. So I went and got a graduate degree in film and television at USC. And then out of there, I hustled like crazy, worked my way up to a television development executive. Um, It's a wild story, I won't go into all the details, but I did that for a while. And then I thought, no, you know, computers, and entertainment are merging. And at this time, they were just coming together. So I met the founder of a large game company, a Japanese game company called Sega, and with Sonic the Hedgehog and all their games, Virtua Fighter, and he offered me the chance to go to Japan and simply come up with ideas for their next generation of games. So I did that. I flew off to Japan. While I was in Japan, it was an amazing experience. You know, coming up with all these game ideas, working with all the developers, kind of combining my entertainment and software. And then I decided I need to start my own company. So I quit that job, flew back to Silicon Valley, California, my home, and launched my first company. And that was a gaming startup. And we made our first game was actually all about teaching people to be entrepreneurs, which is what I do today. It was called Gazillionaire, and it was about how to become a gazillionaire. And it was really popular. It got picked up by one of the large publishers, got worldwide distribution, did really well, and then um, actually found its place into schools so hundreds of schools and universities are using the product, still today, after all this time. It's the beauty of educational software. never goes away. Uh, teaching uh, kids and you know, high school students how to become entrepreneurs. So I did that. I cut the venture bug after that. Teamed up with some partners. We launched an interactive TV startup. Um, right out of Hollywood, where we combined, again, my entertainment background with technology, doing interactive TV shows for NBC, Warner Brothers, uh, Viacom, all these big companies, all these big media companies. And then I did two other venture capital, uh, two other venture-funded startups. And after that, um, all my friends were coming to me and they're like, Captain Hoff, which is my gamer handle. You know, I'm a gamer and they were like, Captain, how do I raise money? How do I get started? You know, what do I do? So I started to help them out. And that was the beginning of Founderspace. So it grew from me personally helping my friends to us eventually getting our own space in San Francisco to us then expanding international. And now we're like even bigger overseas than we are in the United States. Um, and it's been a great wild ride and I just love it because I love working with entrepreneurs. It was absolutely amazing. Like making games for a living. I don't know anybody's, you know, at that time it was my dream to get a job in a game company because I was such a gamer. So yeah, it was like paradise and, uh, and I was also the only gaijin there, which means foreigner in Japan. So I, I wielded a considerable amount of power. They would come up to me and they'd say, Hey. Steve, what do Americans think of this? And I got to speak for the entire country. (laughs) Yeah, well, Americans hate it if I personally hated it or if I loved it, all Americans are gonna love it. So every day I'll be contacted by people from around the world. They could be from, you know, the Czech Republic or from China or Korea, anywhere, South Africa. And so I'll be interacting with them and we'll be, a, a lot of the programs because of COVID, we have been running online so they could reach people all over the world, even in countries we've never been to. Um, and then we have our offline incubators that are open that I coordinate with. So especially in China, we have incubators in a lot of the major cities like in Wuhan, uh, Xi'an, Nanjing, Shenzhen, Hanzhou, these major huge cities in China. Um, and I have teams there on the ground and, you know, COVID hasn't impacted them. So they never had, they ne- they only closed for a very brief time. So I coordinate with them. Uh, also, I'm always writing a new book. So I finished uh, this book. I'll have another book coming out this summer. Um, and I am always engaging with entrepreneurs. So people are coming at me with ideas all the time for me to invest in. For, a lot of times, you know, if it's not, in my wheelhouse, something that I would put money into, I'm referring them to somebody. So that, a typical day, is filled with a myriad of different things going on simultaneously, and I'm just trying to keep up with it. And right now, I'm traveling across the country. So I'm traveling across the country and doing all that at the same time, which is really fun. Entrepreneurs are who I usually deal with. So entrepreneurs will come to us, and if they wanna get into one of our programs or get funding, they have to be a little further along. So they can't be, oh, I have an idea. I woke up and I have this brilliant idea that's gonna, yeah, that's gonna change the world. I'm like, yeah, I can't, you know, those are too early. We want them to actually come to us with some sort of proof that their brilliant idea has, has has is based in reality there's something there there are customers there who need it uh, there's a, a product there that they have the team assembled that they can build they might not have built it yet but they have to have something that we can hold on to that's solid in order for us to move forward with them um, we get a lot of entrepreneurs coming to us you know thousands every year we select a small number of them and they go into our programs and and a small number and they get funded Uh, We also, in our incubators, we have space. So a lot of them are like co-working space. So we'll just have entrepreneurs come into those spaces and they don't necessarily have to be as far along. They can just have an idea. And then online, uh, we have communities, like we have one on Facebook. If you search for Founder Space on Facebook, a really vibrant community with thousands of entrepreneurs contributing ideas and helping each other and investors. And we operate that sort of like a hub so that entrepreneurs can connect with each other, investors and you know lawyers, people to help them out. One of my big jobs is educating. I really believe in my own experience and working with, you know, hundreds of entrepreneurs, I've seen that you can educate yourself and 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 it's hugely beneficial. So, I tell entrepreneurs You know, don't go into this blindly. Learn from all these other people who have experience. So at least you don't make their mistakes (laughs) because there are plenty more mistakes you can make. Trust me. Yeah, you'll make mistakes, but you don't need to make more mistakes. So, So I'm always pushing education. And then the final part is we work with a lot of the world's largest corporations. So we help them connect with entrepreneurs. We help them fund projects. We help them uh, give entrepreneurs resources like distribution that the entrepreneurs don't have. So we're always piecing together um, and connecting both locally in the United States and internationally. You know, startups have to innovate. If you literally are a startup and you're just copying somebody else and hoping to ride their coattails, forget it. Like you, you, you get wiped out. It's a winner-take-all market, and if you don't have something substantially different than is already out there or exponentially better, you, you can't compete, right? There's no—you it's, it's, cannot compete. So you're going to have to innovate, and you're going to have to do what we call radical innovation, and that's not incremental steps. That's a whole leap forward. And so how do you get to that point? Like, what do you do? You know, what type of people do you need on your team? How do you manage an innovation team? And this book is good for entrepreneurs. It's also good for anybody in a corporation. Like, it's the same process. And I work with giant corporations like Bosch, you know, helping man- them run their innovation teams. And I've seen them struggle. You know, startups think they have it hard. These corporations have a lot of money. It still doesn't solve their problems. Like these, In fact, they have a whole host of other problems. So it, it, the book really goes into a process that you can put in place for a very low budget because really a lot of innovation, especially at the early stage, shouldn't require a lot of money. So how do you do that? Like, how do you get your team working together in the right way that all of you, not just you as the the passionate uh, founder and CEO, but your entire team is fully invested in it and they're giving everything? And how do you, you know, do you develop your own technologies? Do you pull technologies off the shelf? How do you? introduce those technologies to your first potential customers? How do you identify those customers? And then how do you actually start to elicit from them meaningful feedback? Not like, you know, they won't tell you what to build, they they don't know, or they would be doing the startup themselves, but they can definitely tell you the outcomes they want. And if you can start to analyze those outcomes and come up with solutions for those using new technology, that's where the opportunities are. I have seen entrepreneurs, and you know, the number one reason they fail, Literally, the number one reason—and this you—it's kind of counterintuitive. Entrepreneurs believe they can't give up; they have to keep going at it, even when they hit a roadblock, because those are great entrepreneurs, right? But the number one reason these great entrepreneurs fail is simply because they stick with the same idea too long. They do not want to admit that the, or they do not, or they filter out the facts, you know, because they do not want to recognize that this brilliant idea they thought they had doesn't actually work in the real world and they stick with it. So um, I'm always pushing entrepreneurs uh, to evaluate their idea objectively. Like, how do you do that? How do you get that feedback early? And how do you know if the baby's really ugly? Because all your friends are gonna tell you it's beautiful. (laughs) Either they've never seen a baby before, (laughs) or they just, Or they just don't want to insult you, you know? So, you know, how do you know that your baby's ugly? And, you know, when do you throw out that baby and conceive a new one? Not something we're used to doing. (laughs) The money spigot is on. And it's on in a big, it's on not just for venture capital. It's on for every, you know, look at the stock market. Look at cryptocurrency. Look at, you know, everywhere real estate. They're all going up. Why are they going up? Because, well, we've lowered interest rates to zero for a long time (laughs) and we have allowed banks to lend without holding any reserves. That's what's going on right now. Money is flooding into the economy um, and people need a place to put it. You're never going to put it in a regular account. So this money is going to riskier and riskier assets in order to get bigger and bigger returns. And so far, it's been pretty good. Um, You never know when the the music will end (laughs) and the party's over. But right now, there's never been a better time to raise capital. So if you're an entrepreneur, take advantage of it. Fill up your coffers. So if if, if there's a drought in the future, you can survive. I'm always interested in new tech. Like, I'm always looking at new tech. But when I invest, the technology doesn't matter as much as what the technology does for the customer. Like, I don't actually care what your, you know, how long it took you to make your technology, you know, how much money you spent on your technology. That doesn't matter to me, whether you even built it. What I really care about, have you figured out how to uh, take a technology and use that to create a unique value for your customer that they are not getting anywhere else? If you can show me that, and you can show me that demand that those customers are like, chomping on the bit to get a hold of your product or service. Then as an investor, I start to get excited. That's that's what gets me to open my wallet. I do believe that a passionate founder is a great force in motivating their employees and reaching out to investors and bringing in capital and closing deals with customers and getting the attention of the media. So passion counts, but you can't have passion alone. I know a lot of passionate entrepreneurs who have nothing to sell (laughs) so if you you know if they're if they're you passion doesn't replace demand so passion is a nice to have right it makes a a good company great with a passionate leader but uh, passion without the demand for the product is uh, you have nothing you have just passion (laughs) and I don't invest in just passion so different people are motivated by different things so Some people are looking at building a company as building a family, right? And they're passionate about the family and making sure it survives. Everybody's well-fed and, you know, and that's where their passion is. Other people are passionate, like technical, you know, co-founders are passionate about the code and the scalability. Others are passionate about their customers. They want their customers to be happy. They want, you know, everybody has something different that drives them. And, you know, honestly, it doesn't matter if you, Uh, if you can get the job done is all I care about. You could be a very introverted, reserved person. Um, You can still run a very successful business. And that passion doesn't have to be demonstrated externally. Like a lot of people are externally, you might consider them rather cold, right? But internally, they may be very passionate, right? in, In their life, you need passion just means a desire to do something. And I think if you um, are an entrepreneur and you're taking a big risk, you know, your life savings, maybe family money, whatever it is, um, you've got to have a certain level of passion to do that. Um, otherwise, just go get a day job. If you're a passionless robot, just get a day job. You're going to have tough days. and The passion can pull you through, right? But the, like I said, you know, there are all different types of passion. You don't have to have them all to be successful. What you need to be successful is just a persistent drive. Like you don't give up. And, uh, and, a, and an ability to figure out and solve really hard problems along the way. So for our business, since we had actual real estate and physical locations, we had to shut them down. So, uh, you know, things are opening back up now, thank goodness. But, you know, that was difficult. That was a big transition moving online. It didn't stop us. So because the space, the the entrepreneurial space, Silicon Valley is booming. So because actually technology got a big boost out of COVID. So most of the companies uh, we've been working with have done very well. COVID is actually, COVID has been their friend, sadly enough, right? It supercharged their business. Anybody in e-commerce, anybody doing anything. Yeah, Zoom-like, communications, anything. Anything online has been doing really well. There are certain entrepreneurs I know who've really suffered because they had ties into retail, you know, physical retail businesses travel, things like that, yeah, you 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 really hurt. And um, they're coming back now, and they're poised to do better. But it was a long, cold winter for them. So I've seen both sides. Um, fortunately, the majority of startups I've been working with are kind of really AI, tech, online, cloud-based focused, and they've done fine. Any entrepreneur who uh, wants to grow their business, wants to learn more, you know, and they can engage with us different ways. I have tons of videos on our site. I have my books, you know, Surviving a Startup, Make Elephants Fly. I give tours um, and lectures. So if you're at a university um, and you want me to come speak or at another venue, you know, now that things are opening up, I've hit the road and I'm available. They can just reach out to me. Um, But really... Um, entrepreneurs who have a business plan, who put together a team, uh, who have are either have a product uh, launched or are getting one ready to launch, those are who I like to work with. That's who we engage with, well, with our capital, with our relationships, and with, you know, our different accelerator programs. Really a perfect fit. We work with very early stage startups where, you know, they'll be happy to get you know, that's just a small amount of money, but you know, they need that. And then we work with much later stage startups that are raising millions and millions, tens of millions or more dollars. And so um, a lot of it depends. So our fund, we usually uh, work with earlier stage startups, you know, between 25K and 250K, that's like the normal range. With um, later stage ones, we work with partners. So we'll bring in bigger, later stage venture capital firms that will come in and really lay out the big bucks. But they have to be ready for that. Okay, then typical model. And this is true of all Silicon Valley, not just me personally. So each round from the angel round to the seed round to the series A round to the series B round, every time the startup raises money, typically they give away around 20% of the existing equity. So they dilute, right? and, and uh, so most venture capital firms, you know, they need uh, to have roughly a 20% stake, and there may be more than one participating in that 20%, but they need that in order to make it worth their time. If it's too small a percentage, just not worth their time. So um, the size of the round really depends on the, the you, you know, how much money do they need? How, what stage are they at? They, can they actually make use of this money? You know, if they can make only, you know, at an early stage, you get a million bucks and that could take you pretty far. But at a later stage, you're going to need 20 million or 200 million t- to really uh, get some mileage out of it and hit your next goals. And then the bigger, the more you're raising, normally th- that means because it's only 20% of the pie, that means your, your valuation is going up. And that's why you see these unicorns, right? Because they're raising hundreds of millions of dollars, you know? If you're, yeah, if you're an, let's say you're, um, uh, you know, an $800 million startup and you raise $200 million, they're taking their 20% stake post, uh, post money, you are, what, you are at a billion dollars. That's your valuation. So that's how they compute it. Right now, the valuations in Silicon Valley are sky high. Like they have never been higher. You know, my, my fellow angel investors in Silicon Valley, I'm, you know, we talk all the time and they are coming to me and they're saying, Captain, you know, this is crazy. Like, like the valuations we're paying now, we've never paid this much money before. It's like four times what it used to be. Like the value, you know, it used to be an early stage company coming out of an, a startup incubator or accelerator could command, if they're lucky, like a five million dollar valuation. That's after they've like proved something, they've been through uh, an, an accelerator, like founder space or Y Combinator or something like that. Now it's approaching 20 million, like at an early stage. Like tw- you know, the hot startups are going for 20 million, they don't even have much, right? <laughs> they're, they're, and so and so it's great for the entrepreneurs, really great. Um, For a lot of the early investors, because they're going to suffer a lot of dilution along the way. And they're getting, for $20 you know, they're not used, if they're an angel investor, they're not putting in a huge amount of money. So the percentage they're getting is pretty tiny, you know. And that makes it, it, even if it hits big, you know, the multiples they get aren't what they would have gotten, right? It's it's substantially less because um, of the high valuations. So it's hurting the angel investors helping the entrepreneurs, but it is all based on supply and demand. So the fact is, like I said, there's just a ton of money in the economy right now pumping into these, you know, startups, and that money is competing for the best startups. All like, I can tell you as an entrepreneur, one thing for sure, you know, it's either super easy to raise money or super hard, even now. Like, it, you know, you can look around at all these startups getting funded and you could say, oh my God, they should write me a check. I saw this really stupid startup earn all this money, you know, get this huge valuation. But, you know, a lot of times those people are connected or they're brilliant salespeople or the timing's just right or there's something you don't know, you know. Um, sometimes they just are crazy investments that aren't very good. But, um, it, you know, With a startup, if you don't have the right relationships, if you don't have all the pieces together, if you're even missing one piece, and I write about this a lot, like in Surviving a Startup, you can be missing just one thing and investors will walk away, right? Because investors, you know, their job is to say no. They can't say yes to every startup. So what ends up happening is investors will say no, 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 no to most startups, even today like 90% of companies or more, that pitch investors will get a no. They'll never get funded, right? Um, But then there's a few that everybody goes to, right? Because they figured it out. They have all the pieces in place and all the investors realize that. And then they get this feeding frenzy where they're competing against each other for these select group of startups driving up the valuation. Number one, if you're an entrepreneur out there, spend time building your team. Like, don't be a solopreneur, which a lot of people are. Because honestly, uh, at an early stage, especially, this isn't like later stage. At an early stage, they don't have much to hang their hat on. Like, they look at your company, it's all potential. So how can they know if you're great? Well, I'll tell you how I know if an entrepreneur is great. I look at who that entrepreneur has attracted to as their co-founders. Who could they get who could be working at Google or Facebook or IBM or some, getting a six-figure salary, yet they gave up that money to work with this entrepreneur on this idea. If this uh, leader, which I want to see those qualities in a CEO, like leadership qualities, if they can bring on these people, that's the first test. Second test that I look at when I look at entrepreneurs are, um, if you're an entrepreneur, um, how far along is your product? Like, what have you actually proven? Can you show me data? Like, you can talk about anything. Like, anybody can talk about anything. be, you know, people like the, the founder of WeWork, right? He was, you know, he could blow a lot of hot air and get everybody to believe. You know, he got away without, because he's such a brilliant salesperson, literally without uh, showing them the proof. Um, but most entrepreneurs are pretty savvy. They're gonna wanna see the numbers. So even if they're small numbers, you know, have you gotten your product into the hands of customers? Can you, if it's a users out there, like uh, consumers, if they're using your minimum viable product, what, uh, what, are, what do the analytics say? Analytics don't lie. Like, if you can show the investors the analytics. If it's B2B, have you gone out and talked to these customers? Can you um, get them to give you a letter of intent? Or better yet, a check You know, saying that when your product is ready, they want it. These things are absolutely, they're gold to investors, the more, de- even I tell entrepreneurs, like, look, if you haven't launched your product and, and you need money, you know, just go to your customers and videotape them, uh, get some sort of crude, it could be a PowerPoint or a crude demo that they can interact with, uh, present it to them and just videotape their reaction. If they are going nuts over this, oh my God, you know, I keep waiting for this to come on or this is amazing, I can't believe you can do this. Um, if you get those reactions and splice them all together from a bunch of customers and show them to investors, that is what we call traction. It's a form of traction. It's a form of proof that these investor that there is some demand for your company. So I really push entrepreneurs to do this at the earliest possible stage for themselves, because they need to know, um, but also for investors. VCs love winners. Like everybody says it's fine to fail, and honestly a lot of great entrepreneurs have failed uh and they failed early like bill gates's first attempt failed nobody talks about it nobody remembers that little thing he did before microsoft that didn't take off steve jobs failed multiple times with the lisa and all these different and the newton and all these products so failure it is fine but human nature you want to bet on winners right so if you have failures. It's always going to be a tougher sell, no matter what people tell you. The VCs don't seek out failures; they seek out success. Um, but if you have failed, and you can actually explain to them why you failed, what you learned, uh, you know what you, how you would do things different next time, and they see that hunger in your eyes and that determination to keep going, it can negate the negative effects of the failure, and they can overlook it. I write about bootstrapping in my book, and I am a big fan of bootstrapping. So first of all, there is nothing wrong with bootstrapping your company. Too many people come to Silicon Valley in in order because they believe that, you know, once you raise capital, all your problems are solved, or the only way to success is to raise huge amounts of venture capital. Honestly, that's only true for a small minority of the businesses out there. And there have been huge multi-billion dollar businesses that have IPO'd Based on bootstrapping, you know, Pluralsight, you know, this huge educational technology educational company, you know, they did it on bootstrapping. There have been many, many, many other companies that have never taken a dime of venture capital and done extremely well. If uh, you can do it without taking venture capital, go for it, right? Like, don't feel bad about that. That's a good thing. um, And then there are certain types of businesses that venture capital will never fund because they just don't fit the model. They're not scalable. They aren't gonna grow exponentially fast. They're gonna be more of a linear growth. And you know, a lot of linear growth businesses over your lifetime could be pretty darn good like for the founders and there's no reason not to do them. So um, you have to figure out what type of business you have and whether you need venture capital. Now venture capital is really good at one thing. It will never turn a bad idea into a good idea. In fact, too much money too early before the startups have figured it out can kill companies, right? It's actually a huge negative. And I'm telling, like, don't raise them, you know, raising money will not solve these problems. And in fact, it can mask the problems. So there have been a lot of startups out there that raised huge amounts of capital, literally hundreds of millions of dollars when they didn't have a product market fit. But the money allowed them to keep acquiring new customers and masking the problem. So with the company, look at WeWork, right? They raised like billions of dollars, but all that did was, was mask the fact that their core business model uh, didn't work the way they claimed it did. They were growing, but they were growing just by spending, not by uh, building the infrastructure and the process and everything in place to really uh, tap customers and bring in revenue. So when I am talking to startup founders, I tell them, first of all, Uh, the first thing you need to do is figure out your business. Now, if your business is in one of these winner-take-all markets, especially one with a network effect, like a two-sided marketplace, like Amazon, or uh, a social network, like Facebook, if you have this strong network effect, which means the more users you bring in, the more valuable your service is to your end user. If if that's the case, you need to raise capital. Because if you uh, don't... If you don't scale, uh, you know, exponentially fast and really take the market, somebody else will. And if you go along really, so I had a friend in the early days, he started a social network. It was doing incredibly well. This was like around exactly the same time Facebook was starting at exactly the same time. His network was doing well. It was a version of LinkedIn. So basically it was LinkedIn. Uh, before LinkedIn (laughs) and he actually had a lead on LinkedIn and he was growing like crazy did not take venture capital did not take the right steps does not exist today like is LinkedIn took the whole pie and that network just faded away like gradually not right away but LinkedIn took the whole pie so because they had the network effect for that so when I'm talking to entrepreneurs yes if 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 that's the case venture capital Won't make your idea better, but it is fuel on the existing fire. So if you have a jet engine and you plug venture capital into that, well, you're going, you're going around the world. If it's a rocket ship, you're going to the moon. You know, that venture capital is just the fuel. It's not the rocket. But if you have a rocket, get the fuel, right? Get the rocket fuel. Because if you don't fill up your rocket, you're not going anywhere. That's the answer. Venture capital is brilliant at customer acquisition. Like in in hiring employees, like in, you know, basically all the things you need to grow. So like venture capitalists, look at your business model and they will basically analyze your model and they want to know the lifetime value of your customer. How much money will a single customer bring in over their lifetime? If they can see that you will potentially earn more money uh, from this customer, the lifetime value is greater than the cost of customer acquisition. Well, it's a no brainer. Shovel Money into this company, right? As much money as they can spend, we'll, we will give them because we know we're going to get a return. And if there's a network effect, we know we will dominate the market End game. That's That's what venture capitalists look at. Venture capitalists in Silicon Valley are looking for outsized exponential returns on every investment they do. Now, the fact is, though, they take a portfolio strategy because they know no matter how smart they are, Doing a startup, there are so many unknowns, so many variables out there. It is so easy for a company, for reasons that you just aren't visible at the early stages, not to succeed. You know, one of the founders, the founders get in a fight, the market changes, you know, the technology never works or matures, the customers actually wanted something different, whatever it is. like There are a million reasons startups fail, but so they know that their portfolio out of their portfolio, if they have 10 startups they've invested in, one of those startups, if they were lucky, one of those startups becomes a a huge hit, a unicorn plus, right? And that one investment, usually... It dwarfs all the other investments combined. So all the other investments combined, even the semi-successful ones, are this much. And this one company is this much. So if it's an Amazon or Alibaba or Facebook or Twitter, right, it pays for all the losers and then makes you a great return. And it makes, so its return is, you know, it can be a 100x return, whatever it is. Um, that is what, so they're, every time they take a bet, because they don't, it takes time to find a startup. It takes time to engage with the founders. It takes time to sit on the board. They're limited not by their capital, but by the time they spend. And they have a lot of capital to shove into startups. Like some of these venture funds have half a billion dollars or a billion dollars in venture capital. They have to invest that usually within a three-year time horizon. Imagine that, right? So three to five years. like they, So they want a startup that will grow so big and so fast that they can shovel all this money in and put it to work so that they can get a return for their investors, their limited partners who invest in them. That's how their business model works. So every startup they pick, like if you came to them and told them, look, I have a great company. You put in a million dollars now, and I guarantee in five years you will get $10 million back. Well, for an individual, you'd be like, wow, well, that's pretty good. You know, <laughs> you know, I'll take that deal. For venture capital, capitalists, it doesn't matter at all. If you're managing a big fund, let's say a half a billion dollar fund or a billion dollar fund, what's a 10x return, $10 million on one million? What is that on a billion dollar fund? It doesn't move the needle. It doesn't give them anything, right? Because they're only able to put one million in capital to work. They need to put hundreds of millions to work, right? So in order to spend this billion dollar fund. So that is how their brains work. And a lot of entrepreneurs, especially novice entrepreneurs, don't quite understand this when they're pitching. So I tell founders, the number one thing you can do is don't think you know everything. Like. It's very easy to believe you know what you're doing, but you should be questioning every decision you make. And you should be going out to other people in the industry and honestly asking them for their feedback every step along the way. You cannot get too much feedback. You honestly, the company doing a startup at the very early stage is all about information gathering and how you put that information to use. So you want to go into whatever industry you're going in and question everything about that industry, everything about what you're doing, and keep questioning until you, and that will allow you to uncover those golden nuggets, those ideas that actually will have a huge oversized impact in that industry. So that is what I want to leave. with. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you liked it, hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends. You can help us create more great content by subscribing and sharing. Also, if you want to access our online startup program, our investor network and our entrepreneur resources, just come to founderspace.com.